Guys, you can carry on your conversation about. I mean, I was just thinking. I was just thinking. <laughs> hey. I mean, that would be the Whoa. ultimate week of brainstorming. You know, jumping in back to the wilderness with a whiteboard, planning out the next fucking revolutionary fund in crypto. It'd be huge. It would be. <laughs> Bill Gates, Bill Gates, stuff. Bill Gates, Think Week style, but with some psychedelics, a la Tim Ferriss. Oh, I love it. Hey. I love Sounds it. Sounds like the dream. For, a good for, antidote to current uh, market conditions. <laughs> <laughs> if people are listening uh, out of context, uh, the boys are just planning their their trip to <laughs> do a crypto uh, psychedelic retreat, right? Oh yeah, we need a, we need I a think spiritual awakening. I think you've coined that, Luca. I don't think I've ever heard that term. What crypto is that? Crypto oh, psychedelic that. retreat. It's love like a that. classic where crypto people need to add crypto into everything they do. Trademark. <laughs> like, Trademark it. <laughs> should we let should we kick off the show, boys? That's good. <laughs> All right, welcome to episode ten of the Web3 show. Apologies for our antics at the beginning of the show, but uh, more more to come. As always, I'm with Galactic Q. Uh, fresh out of watching the new Matrix movie. Apparently, it's quite disappointing, but he's got some new red pulls in hand. Apparently, they're orange pulls in this movie or something. I don't know. Um, but I've got we've got him on board. We've got your guy in Tradfire, as always. And I'm Luca, the front man, and I'm super stoked to be coming at you all with episode 10 We've got a great bumper-to-bumper uh, bumper episode. Finally, getting back into the normal things out of holiday mode, some more topics to to talk about. Um, and while the, the boys were um, sharing their own stories, I wanted to say a quick story of my own quickly before we jump in. Um, so yesterday evening, I was actually doing some uh, degenerate uh, DeFi activities on, on, the, on the Phantom... Uh, blockchain spooky stuff <laughs> as uh luca your guy in tradfi put me onto it um big shout out to him as well for for teaching me the ways uh of the jedi within the phantom blockchain um but oaks you won't believe what actually happened so i was on my metamask like trying to approve a transaction and <laughs> and my internet was lagging for a second and then i switched back to the metamask tab on my on my uh on my browser and all of, and like I did a double take and I had a, and I had a look and I was like, wait a second, literally on my screen it said 150 ETH in my wallet. I'm not, <laughs> Oaks, I'm, not Oaks, I'm not even bullshitting. I'm not even bullshitting when I say this. I did a double take. I saw it and then I did another double take. I was like, this can't. And like I, I've literally felt I had an outer body experience, feeling my heartbeat like go from like 65 to 120 beats per minute in, in two seconds. And I was like, Luke, no, this you, can't. You start typing up your resignation. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I got my, I was about to make a phone call to my, to my line manager. <laughs> no, but literally I was like, could, like, could this have actually happened? Cause I've heard of people just getting like dropped in their wallets, like, you know, 200 ETH or whatever. And I was like, could this have actually just happened? And then my internet reloaded, went back down to two ETH. I was like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> you know that meme of, uh, if anyone knows Wojak, that Wojak meme when he does like uh, screaming when he's just got rug pulled from a, <laughs> from a Ponzi scheme. That's how I felt like. 
Oh uh, yeah. Anyway, but we we carry on. I'm still a still a normie degenerate trying to trying to turn my I mean, small cash I mean, pile. Just on yeah. the topic of Phantom, can we take a moment to appreciate that Phantom has probably the coolest fucking branding? In oh, it's insane! It's insane. This whole like Halloween spooky sort of vibe is amazing. I love it. But I, but I saw a meme about the plat the the whole ecosystem sort of taking like brand consistency to a new level. Luca, you yeah. actually got to run us through it before we jump into the market update. Of like, you ran me through the whole process the first time we were chatting, and I was like. I stopped you and I was like, Luca, you can't be serious. Like from Phantom to what spooky swap. And then just, just this grim and this, this tomb, tomb finance. But honestly, they've got probably the most successful layer one blockchain marketing team in the entire crypto space. I agree. Name one company in crypto that's a layer one protocol that, you know, is, obviously changing the way, I mean, they don't, they're not a blockchain, you know, they run on that DAG mechanism. So they're not actually a blockchain, which is fucking revolutionary. Uh, Wait, but explain that, John. Uh, I, I didn't know this. What do you mean by they're not a blockchain, Phantom? So F Phantom doesn't run as a, as a blockchain in the way that we think blockchain works. They run on what we call a DAG mechanism. So basically how a blockchain would work is transactions happen sequentially. You have a block and then the, the, so you have one block before and one block after and everything works in a chain mm. where Phantom, the networks communicate back and forth with one another at certain points in time. So there's no sequential order. So transactions can go through at the same point in time and happen simultaneously. And this constant transaction communication back and forth between computers allows them to reach a consensus of what the ledger is going to be. And then basically because of that, it allows them to reach finality in the network, which is the point where all transactions are approved extremely fast. And this is why when people look at the transaction per second of Phantom to be four and a half thousand transactions per second and like, okay, that doesn't match Solana. The difference to there is that Solana transactions have to have to happen sequentially, where Phantom everything can happen simultaneously because it's this back and forth. Think about it as like a classroom of people all gossiping with one another. It's just back and forth communication, so it's like a gossip protocol in a way. It's pretty interesting how it all functions. Fascinating. An uh, amazing technology with a, a, a very funny UI UX. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> but they've definitely so they've nailed branding. They've nailed the branding. Yeah. Uh, but John's, uh, let's get into the market update for today. What is happening in the markets? Yeah, well, I mean, guys, obviously, as 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 the same as last week, we are still in this forty to forty-two thousand dollars zone. We had a little bit of a relief bounce to that forty-four k level, but ultimately we got rejected, um, which was too expected to be expected. You know, I kept on uh, speaking last week and the week before about a small little dead cat relief bounce in a sense. And what we're noticing here is that we're playing out that same May-June fractal that we had last year, where we had this initial wick, uh, a bounce back up to test top of range, and then ultimately stagnation to the downwards uh, side to test bottom of range and ultimately lose support and have the flash tip down you know, back in May, it was to 29K, but for us this time, it's 39K. And what we're starting to notice here is we just had this next dead cat bounce, and we're probably going to have one more swing low of that 39 to 37K region. 
before we start pushing to the upside again. And, you know, the, the, the bottom sentiment here is starting to become very similar to what the bottom sentiment in May last year was. With fear and greed being sustained on the fear side for at least 60 days now, you know, with the RSIs bottoming out, with a lot of hidden bullish divergences coming on macro timeframes like the weekly and the monthly charts, um, there's a lot of indicators pointing towards a bullish swing uh, in the next couple of weeks. But that being said, short term is still bearish, but medium term is starting to flip bullish, which is very interesting to see in the market. And one thing that we're also noticing is usually when we enter a period like this, Bitcoin dominance skyrockets. But what we're seeing here is Bitcoin dominance is actually losing its support at 40 percent. And if we lose this level, it's going to pull back down to 36 percent. And with this, we're noticing tons of liquidity flood into DeFi hubs on various successful layer one blockchains. For example, Phantom, as we were just discussing, their daily active transactions has skyrocketed. If you look at the chart versus Ethereum, you know, they're only 88,000 daily transactions short of what Ethereum is processing. You know, they're multiples ahead of AVAX and Solana and, you know, all these other protocols that are, you know, 10, 20, 30 X bigger than Phantom is. But because Phantom's DeFi is so efficient due to its mechanism and how it reaches consensus, um, you know, with this whole new way of approaching proof of stake, the DeFi sector and yield opportunity on Phantom is exploding. And this is why we're noticing a huge uptake in Phantom. Um, similar, we're noticing a huge uptake in various Ethereum bridge protocols for yield farming. Um, and liquidity is just flooding into these places where there's opportunity because Bitcoin is becoming boring and Bitcoin is becoming uncertain as well. Long term, we're still bullish. Medium term, we're flipping bullish, but short term is uncertainty. So people are looking for stable coins and they're looking for proper protocols that have functioning business models that will allow them to be secure in a yield and ultimately catch the gain when the market does bottom, which I think will be around that one more swing low, 39 to 37K wick. Um, close the daily above 40K, bounce there and push up to that 53K level. And John's, it's quite interesting you said Bitcoin's getting boring. What like category of investor would you sort of say that Bitcoin's getting boring for? Like, you, you know, you're for, talking for, about for some- retail. For retail. Yeah, I mean, like, look, put it this way. Institutions closed last year at a massive ROI, the ones that did invest Bitcoin. So it's only natural that at the end of the year, they would have taken their profits, rebalanced their portfolios to de-risk themselves from the asset class that did the best. Because we know that when something rallies hard, it needs a pullback. And that's what we've largely seen over the last two and a half months with Bitcoin. So it's just a matter of time before institutions are starting to accumulate, which they already are, you know, because it was a successful year last year. They're sitting on a balance of liquidity, which they generated from this asset class. You know, why wouldn't they reallocate a portion of that liquidity back into the Bitcoin? But that is not retail buying. Institutions will buy at these levels because they know it's a good time to buy. But ultimately, once they've bought up enough, the bullish news will begin. The bullish uptake from retail will begin. That FOMO phenomenon will begin. And ultimately, institutions will just sit with the massive ROI by the end of 2022 
and all the retail that pumps into the market when things get exciting again, because we know retail loves to buy the top, will become, as our guy in TriFi likes to coin it, exit liquidity for the institutions and for us, because we're getting in the market now. But, but you have to admit, John T, that it's precarious times. I mean, we've got like, we've got a whole class of tokens collapsing, rebase tokens, right? Like, you know, altcoin pairs are bleeding against Bitcoin. Bitcoin is uncertain. Like, we don't know where the market's going. Um, macro, general macro environment as well. Yeah, it's really challenging. So it's, I mean, if we get a relief rally, chances are uh, people buying into that rally are going to be exit liquidity just to build on that. I mean, if, if, if you're if you're 100% exposed right now, um, obviously not not financial advice, but uh, I would I would strong I would strongly consider de-risking on any any uh, uptick. I mean, I've said it for a while. I think my number one player for this year. Is, is a cash-heavy portfolio deployed in, in decentralized finance. Yeah, I mean, listen, that, that's, that's the best way to go about it. I mean, this year is, we can guarantee one thing this year, and that is violent volatility to the upside, but also to the downside. Violent. <laughs> like, very violent. Like, I, 100%. I, you know, uh, Luca and I were sitting down about two and a half hours ago running through the macro weekly trends for Bitcoin and what's like the current market status is looking like. And there is a strong case for a pullback to the 25K zone for Bitcoin. A very strong possibility. Really? And we didn't even see that last year. Exactly. Not probability. The probability doesn't lie with that. But there is a strong possibility. Probability lies for a relief rally before we see any form of bigger downwards action. Um, that's not to say that any further downwards action from here is off the cards, definitely possible. We could easily retest the 35 to 36K zone tomorrow if we had to. But if we look at all the bottom sentiment indicators, RSIs, leverage resets, all these various little factors that tell us that a bottom is in, we're nearing a bounce push for a relief. But that relief will be short-lived. And I do think we're gonna see that bigger correction sub 30K again break macro trend, go into another six months of bearish sideways action, retesting the 30 to 40K region as your range bound zone before we ultimately push again in six to 12 months time. Yeah, John, so, if, we, if we assume that markets jump up, let's say 30%, um, heading into Feb, kind of end of Feb, you're up 30% from this point, hypothetically, what, what kind of cash bit would you be looking at? Like get to eighty percent cash, eighty percent. I mean, I mean, I think I think Galactic Q and Luca at eighty percent cash. I mean, guys, I'm unprecedented. I'm the most, I'm the most <laughs> bullish. I'm the most bullish DJ out of the three of us, and I like to ape into everything risky. <laughs> Galactic Q is the only guy I know who realizes after six months that he still has a huge bag of some altcoins <laughs> in, a, in a random wallet. <laughs> I literally, I, I was I was cleaning up my portfolio today and rebalancing, and I opened like two or three wallets that I just completely didn't even know I was holding coins in them, and I, I was like surprised to see some of the altcoins I was still holding. <laughs> Q, is that why? Is that why I'm down thirty percent on my Shiba? Yeah. <laughs> you you rebalanced today. I offloaded about a hundred million Shiba. Today, you right? dumped. You dumped on me. You dumped on me. 
Oh man, no, yeah. Shiva, Shiva Eno is out my portfolio. I sold it today. No, but that's that's fas- that's fascinating. So interesting, interesting outlook for the the future, and I guess also just to underpin that, um, we all we all listen to the All In Pod a couple of episodes ago at the end of last year. I think Chamath made that huge point when he was saying, you know, when the two smartest entrepreneurs in the world are selling stock, i.e., Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, sold like collectively three four billion dollars of their company stock at the end of last year, you know, you know, something's, something's going down and rightly so, because markets have been ripping. Obviously that's, you know, traditional, traditional markets, but I think there's well, I mean, always a, there's always a, an element of contagion that comes into crypto. No, for sure. I mean, crypto is largely still very correlated to what happens in legacy systems. You know, there's no doubt about that. And it's going to be a very long time before crypto properly decouples, um, at least five to 10 years. You know, we'll yep. see a kind of decoupling phenomenon with rising interest rates and damaging, you know, uh, what's it, money printing coming to, from the Fed. But one thing I do think is going to be the biggest question to be answered this year is, will the current political party be the ones that fuck up the traditional market? Or will they be the ones that prolong the danger? You know, maybe well, to underpin that, uh, shout out to Ted Talks Macro, uh, guy on Twitter. He, John Sweet, looked at this chart. He overlaid liquidity in the market with the Bitcoin price. And it shows like an, an upward spike in, in overall liquidity when they started printing like crazy off the March crash. And it's just kind of been, you can see a strong correlation with the Bitcoin price, yep. effectively, kind of this sharp increase and then a steady increase. Uh, over time, effectively, and I mean, if they start shrinking the balance sheet, uh, it's 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 going to get bloody. Yeah, it's going to get very bloody. You cannot deny that is the single biggest macro systemic risk to all markets this year. Fed yeah, tightening, also being inconsistent with their policy, as was discussed on All In as well. Um, yeah, sorry, Luca, you were saying? Got to give him credit for this tweet. He, he was basically saying the crypto markets are a sponge for excess liquidity. Yeah, yeah, like you said <laughs> last week. Yeah. I mean, sure. listen, listen. The, the, the bottom line here is if you're more than a 3 or 4x on your investment, sell it. Like, why would you sit and wait for, for more? That's just greed. You know, if we get a 30% market move, it's more than likely that most L1s were 2x from here. If Bitcoin's to take a 30, 40% move from here, get out, sell it. You know, if it does another multiple, well, too bad, you know, but walk away with what you've got. You're in profit, you're in the green. Let the market crash 70%, 60%, yeah, yeah, we whatever it's going to crash to. Yeah, we spoke about like an interesting mental model for selling altcoins. And it's basically like, um, look at the price right now and ask yourself, how likely is it that at some point in the future, you'll be able to buy it for the same price? And I think, Quinette, you, you you mentioned earlier today, you basically, there's not a single coin you don't think you'll be able to buy again for this price. Over exactly. A couple of months. That's a great mental I mean, model. Let's, let, let's look at Solana just as a, as a chart. You know, I love Solana as a project. I think Solana is phenomenal. You know, I think the technology they're building is great. But chart-wise, they had this ridiculous rally from $20, $22, to $250. And it's pulled back all the way to the $130 mark. And, you know, if you look at the macro charts, 
this is the last level of resistance before Solana will dump to $60 for its next big level of macro support. I mean, if we are to see more downside in the market, there's no way Solana will hold this level purely because the interest in the market is shifting to other ecosystems, you know, like Phantom. So, and because of the fact that it had such a big run up as well. Exactly. Like it ran up over three months, you know, it did this crazy, crazy run up to a mad, mad evaluation. And I mean, if you bought Solana $20 or $60 or $80 or $90, why aren't you selling? You know, what are you waiting for? For it to return to $250 to $1,000? I mean, if that's the case, you're going to be waiting months. It's not going to happen now. And I think a lot of people fail to realize that they will end up being exit liquidity or holding bags to zero because they keep thinking that the project will go back to its all-time high. And that's true. It probably will, you know, but it's not going to happen today and it's not going to happen in six months. It'll probably happen in a year or two. So if you're willing to hang in with a project that long, then you deserve the glory and you deserve the reward. But if the project doesn't have a product, if the project doesn't have a function, like a, a strong team, if it doesn't have a business model, if it's not able to generate yield or, or liquidity through a bearish, unfrothy market, and if it doesn't have users, you know, if there's no adoption, like why would you sit on it? It's clearly not going to make it, you know? And that's yep. unfortunately 99% of projects in the market today. Yeah, and I guess I that, mean, that, have... that sort of went out of Sol- went away from Solana towards the end of that, the yeah. queue, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm branching more towards the general crypto space. Yeah. Solana, yeah. in my mind, has an amazing team. It's got amazing product. It's got development. It's capturing market share from Ethereum. I think Solana has a very bright future over the next five to 10 years. So then surely if Solana... your time horizon is long enough, you just hold it and you fine with price moves. But obviously, yeah. But, if... but, but how many but people me, will me... actually hold? Yeah, the whole meme is great until you're down at 10x. Sure. Yeah, tell me this, Luca. If you could sell Solana today for $140 and rebuy it at $60 in two months' time, would you do that? Or would you just sit and wait and not play the volatility? No, yes, of course. But not everyone is obviously, uh, you know, expert traders like like you, Q. So, you know what I mean? I mean, but to to be very, like forward it's not hard to see market sentiment you can tell when twitter is getting bearish you can tell when youtubers are getting bearish you can tell weeks in advance when the market sentiment is flipping purely based on twitter and who's buying in the market when there's no retail you know that we're in extreme fear when there's too much retail you know we're in extreme greed and that's a very simple thing to see you'll see coins doing 2x, 3x, 4x every day. I mean, there are some simple mental models that I think, you know, help, it can help you trade these markets. I think fundamentally, obviously, the, the base layer would just be a sensible risk management approach. Um, yep. Yep. And I mean, Luca, you, you have a more passive investment strategy, right? I mean, in, in a sense, that is risk management. You know, you, you've insulated yourself effectively from market movements your buying approach right yeah exactly so that, so what i'm trying to get across is that there's you know i think uh is not is not one size fits all i guess and obviously you know people you know the the 
early buyers of Bitcoin from, you know, 2010, 2013, 14 would obviously be disagreeing with you. They held through all of that multiple bull runs, multiple bear cycles. And, and here we are at, you know, 40, 50 Just one point on the Bitcoin though, Luca, I think, I think where Jonty is right is, is with Bitcoin is basically a base layer technology. There's no team behind it. You know, yes, something sure. like Solana, 99% of, of other kind of altcoin positions, you know, there's a team. And yes, yes, happens, of course, of course. You, you, Principally you say, from an investing basis though. Yeah, you say you have, you have diamond hands and then it dips 70% and it dips another 70% and then invariably most end up selling the bottom. But I think, I mean, we've, kind of tried to have a frank conversation about the risks in crypto over the past couple of episodes. I don't think we're late to the discussion um, that there, there is froth. I mean, we, we spoke about Metaverse, GameFi needing a reset. Um, and, and more generally, we, we kind of are looking at a rotation of capital from uh, deadweight to projects deserving uh, the funding like Phantom. Um, but I mean, it'll and, be an interesting space. Basically, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see how sentiment on the pod has shifted from reasonably bullish to slightly fearful to cautious to to one <laughs> to going eighty percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but also, guys, to to clear up to to clear up, guys, like from my side, QI, I do agree with you in the sense that yes, you have to de-risk, right? And if, even if it's you apply the framework or the mental model where you say, cool, I'm taking 40% of my chips off the table if I'm deep into Solana, I've got Solana coming out my nose um, right now and I wrote it from $20 all the way to 250 and then back to 160 I'm still up, uh, you know, what, 70X or whatever, 7X or whatever that is, right? So yeah. take some chips off the table, de-risk. I think that's that's the sentiment we're getting across. But if you truly fundamentally believe in the long term portion of this project, you're not going to you can't, you won't necessarily get rid of your whole bag. You know, especially if it's like no, no, Solana, no. which is such a valuable project. That's that's why I say de-risk eighty percent. Yes. Always keep twenty. So I'm I'm in agreement. I'm in in agreement on that. Yeah. But but you know, as the famous saying goes, the two ways to be successful as investing is don't lose your money and don't lose your money. Yeah. Exactly. So. If anything, pull out your initial. You're sitting at a 2x, pull out what you put in and you've de-risked your entire position. That position can go to zero, but you've still preserved your initial capital. And that is the most important thing for all investors to realize. I mean, maybe one thing... Yeah, sorry, John. Is that to to not be greedy, to hope for the 3, 4x and be like, oh, but this position, 2x is from here, I'm just going to keep doubling up. To rather pull out that initial capital, secure the initial investment, be safe on that end, put it into yield or whatever, generate passive income with it, but you still got a moon bag. You know, that can I mean, run the volatility, that can run just, the long-term hold. Just to add on to that, I mean, if you're looking, you can generate definitely, you know, anywhere between 25% to 250% on your assets in DeFi, I mean, there is smart contract risk, but you've got to ask yourself, I mean, how many projects are you sure are going to 2X over the next year? So, I mean, cash on the one hand is a survival strategy, but on the other hand, might actually be the horse that delivers um, this year. Yeah. 
I agree. Yep. And I think, I think, listen, not financial advice, but if there's going to be three ecosystems that you focus your yield farming strategies, that you focus your investment strategies on into, there's only three that I would buy today. And that's Phantom, that's Polkadot, and that's Ethereum. Because, you know, ETH 2.0 is coming. And it's more than likely going to be this year that we see that proof of stake transition from proof of work, which we've already, you know, experienced the start of. You know, Polkadot is revolutionary with its parachain technology and what it's doing for scalability and interoperability. And we all know that the future of crypto is built around bridge protocols and interoperability between networks. And, you know, Polkadot is kind of that perfect base or that backbone that will allow everything to be a part of everything. And then you've got, a, uh, you've got Phantom, which is probably going to be the leading DeFi ecosystem in crypto. You know, Terra Luna, yes, great project, but that's more focused on decentralized banking. When it comes to actual DeFi and yield generation, Phantom is huge and people underestimate that. So there's very few ecosystems that I think are going to be successful in 2022. And there's significant ecosystems that are going to be brilliant in five years. But 2022 is not going to be there yet. Yep. Good note to end off on, boys. Let's uh, let's chat about a bit about stable coins. Um, we've got two main topics that sort of morph into one around both around stable coins uh, for you today. So basically, the first first segment will 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 jump in at at this point because I think um, Tether has been uh, you know a a project, a stable coin that's been in the news headlines, not always for the best reasons over the past, you know, many, many years um, since it was created. So basically last year, um, last last week, uh, the news broke that stable coin issuer Tether froze three Ethereum addresses on Thursday, holding over Thursday last week, holding over $160 million worth of USDT, uh, which is Tether, Tether's stable coin. Um, three accounts will will not be able to move the funds. Um, so in total, since November 2017, it's quite interesting. Tether's blacklisted 563 addresses. At the at the end of last year, late December, they frozen frozen address with over one million dollars in USDT. Obviously, these this new blacklisting is is you know 160 times times that. Um, so. Quite interesting um, to get your guys' take on, you know, what maybe the implications of this is, but maybe also, what are your guys' thoughts um, in general over Tether? And I, I mean, I've I've also I've done a bit of more of a deep dive on, you know, what exactly happened with Tether over the past few years, with all of the you know the fraud allegations and sort of the convoluted nature of their reserves. But I wanted to, maybe it would be interesting just to get your guys' take on Tether, what you think is the um you know, the situation with them behind behind the, the behind the scenes. Um do you think it's a fraud? Do you think it isn't? Um and I would highly recommend people to there's there's plenty of content out there about, you know, covering the story about what happened um, you know, a couple of years ago with the investigations into it. Um but Q, what's what's your thoughts on Tether? In general. Well, firstly, firstly, if you're holding Tether and not UST, you're not going to make it. That's the bottom line. I mean, custodial <laughs> stable coins like USDC and USDT, despite their you know questionable asset backing, for example, the issue with Tether is the fact that 
you know, it's it's total minted USDT is not actually backed by actual dollars. You know, only a, a small percent of that entire market cap is backed by a basket of assets that Tether refuses to disclose. And we can assume that it's Bitcoin. We can assume that it's some stocks, maybe some over collateralized assets and, you know, maybe some dollars. But it's yeah, it's about fifty percent. Fifty percent of it has actually come out as being what they say commercial paper. People say oh, yes. that yeah. consists of debt, uh, you know, unsecured debt to you know of certain Chinese companies. There were rumors about it being Evergrande, um, as our guy in Tradfi warned last year. Um, the the failing property company and yeah, I think John's, I think it's about 3% cash at the end of the day, like actual hard cash or cash equivalents, which is mind blowing. Actually, So so the question you got to ask yourself is what can you do with USDT in the crypto space other than trade it for altcoins or for Bitcoin or for ETH? Because it is the stable coin in the market with the most liquidity pairs because it has first mover advantage. So why would you position yourself in a custodial stablecoin that's not really backed by anything, you know, 3% actual cash and maybe a couple percent to other basketed assets, which falls victim to regulation, is being targeted by SEC, and ultimately is a shady company and has a back history of legal action against them. When you can just put your money into an algorithmically pegged stablecoin that's backed by an arbitrage's market through supply contraction and, and expansion in the Terra Luna ecosystem, UST, and earn 20% yield on that mm-hmm. anchor. I mean, it's you know, a fair point. I think, I mean, it's probably like a mix of uh, convenience, like you said, deepest liquidity and... Um, and people are just, ignorance. you know, it has, it has, yeah, ignorance, exactly. It has the mm-hmm. that first mover advantage when people think of a stable coin, oh, it's a, you know, tethers like dollars, but it's, but it's digital. You can easily get in and out of Bitcoin, ETH, Solana, whatever you, you want to trade. So just use tether. It's on most blockchains. There you go. Go and run. And people probably, you yeah. know, a lot of retail just don't even second guess it. Right. Look, and I mean, I will, but, I will say that I'm, I, I'm a little bit less concerned with the, with the treasury. Um, I mean, I think it it must be hard scaling as fast as they've had to. Um, and and but, I but why aren't I you mean, concerned? It's such a, it's such a, I'm, I'm not con, I'm not concerned um, because USDC I'm not exposed. USDC is one to one cash. <laughs> USDC is one to one cash back. You know, and it's it's the same concept. What Luke is getting mobbed. What concerns, He's getting what mobbed. concerns me? What concerns me is not their treasury. It's basically that they can just freeze your money. Like what's yeah, that, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, like agreed. like like that is that is just way way over the line. Effectively, I mean, you, I, I did not know it was possible until I saw until this article, and and that really uh, t- takes like all the confidence. Uh, out of the picture for me. To well, because Luca, you asked a good question. How does that actually work in practice, right? You, yeah. You're working in a decentralized world where, you know, wallet addresses are pseudo-anonymous. There's no identity specifically tied to a wallet. It's just a huge hexadecimal address. So how did they actually blacklist? Is it is it a question of, you know, the, a thought that ran through my mind was, is it if they if they 
get a redemption order. So say you want to redeem your tether for actual dollars with them and that they see it coming from, say, a blacklisted address, do they deny that or how no, they've that... actually frozen the assets. Like I'm not sure how they've technically managed to do it, but they've actually frozen the assets. Uh, so transactions which come out of that wallet basically are not taken up into the next block. Um, not not entirely sure so, how they've managed so, to pull it off. But that's but but now the question that I can't you know make sense of because the articles about this are very vague is, you know, those wallets are not just sitting with USDT. They're sitting with multiple other assets. So have they frozen the actual wallets from any transacting on ETH mainnet with USDT? Or have they just frozen the actual stablecoin? And I mean, like, yeah, it's quite a tough concept to wrap your head around. Like, how did they actually do that? You know? No, it's mind-blowing. And and for me, Luca, you, you said you're not that concerned about their treasury, but and more concerned about this, but for me, this this you know doubles down my concern. The fact that you know, especially if you if you dig dig into all the press around and the stories around Tether, you know, and what's actually happened, like everything just seems shady. And the fact that they aren't transparent, yeah. they aren't they aren't getting their um, uh, what are they called uh, accreditation or assertion sort of um, audits done like USDC does. I mean, USDC is like the polar opposite of them. And also, if you look at the management but of this the company. Jurisdiction. I think it's the jurisdiction. And it's like, they don't, they don't need to, right? Tether doesn't need to. Like, I, I think they've probably got enough problems on their hand as is. And I mean, they, they definitely, um, they're definitely the black sheep. Or black swan, you mean? Black swan, black sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I, think, I think i think the fact of the matter here is that people are waking up to the issues and downfalls of custodial stablecoin like tether and you know we've largely seen that with the explosion of market cap in usd which is now almost at 11 billion from like yeah. a couple million not even a year ago and i think i think this whole shift you know like we talk about a decentralized space we talk about a open source trustless decentralized narrative and i mean custodial stable coins are not that where by custodial do you mean backed by reserves yeah backed by reserves and essentially um, custodied or or um issued by a central company like usdc is issued by circle and and whatnot but exactly. but john's I, I i completely agree with you and what just to lay out some stats for everyone which I, I found completely mind-blowing, actually. Um, I, I can't remember exactly to to hand what the details are, but I would highly recommend people go watch a, a video by CoffeeZilla where he breaks down the entire Tether scandal over the past few years. And basically, the, to finish my thought um, previously about their management of the company, some of these guys are like, no joke, they've been involved with like child pornographers and these guys are all like from gambling backgrounds and sh and like just shady stuff, shady characters, right? The other thing is, Tether's market cap, and obviously one Tether should equal, is supposedly equal to $1, so therefore its market cap is the amount of, is equivalent to the amount of Tethers in circulation. It's close to $80 billion, Right? about 78 as of today. And a mind-blowing stat 
I'm not saying this thing is a Ponzi scheme or, you know, a house of cards or whatever, uh, you know, even though it may look a lot like it, I, I don't know. But if it is, it's now surpassed in value the size of Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme at its height, which was about 72 million, 72 billion, sorry, assets under management. And, you know, if you, you only, it only takes a couple of Google searches to see how that house of cards fell. And another thing is that this company has 15 employees. What's mind blowing is that when you take their market cap that's attributed to Tether per employee, it makes them basically the most valuable fintech company in the world by that metric, which is absolutely mind blowing. And I view this company and the stable coin actually as a systemic risk to crypto, because if something were to come out that, you know, I don't know, something was dodgy about their reserves and, you know, uh, they hold Evergrande debt in their commercial paper and it's just all a big sham. And there's a, essentially a run on their bank where everyone holding Tether realizes they're holding a bag and they want to try to redeem those for dollars. I, I honestly think this could bring down crypto in a in a rude way. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree I, I or agree. whatever. But... I agree completely, Luca. Yeah. So so it just uh, it's, yeah. it was quite shocking to me digging more into it. And I just think that... Yeah, like we said, maybe people just are holding and sort of thinking, you know, oh, sort of ignoring the problem or just not thinking about a potential problem. But I think this could be one of the biggest systemic risks to crypto that's going under the ra under most people's radars. Um, but I would highly recommend people, you know, educate themselves on on the the whole story and what happened. Uh, Coffeezilla is a great resource on YouTube. Um, yeah, and uh, Luca, interestingly as well, remember you sent me that article about um, how Strike, Jack Mullers' company, um, was launching, built on the Lightning Network, uh, on Bitcoin Lightning Network, was launching in Argentina. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw that article that they're actually not accepting Bitcoin in their app in Argentina. They're only allowing transactions with, with Tether currently. Really? Yeah. So there was actually a lot of uproar from users on the app, you know, saying that's interesting. Like, and, and he's like a perma Bitcoin bull. Like yeah. He's a, he's a it, proper it, it Bitcoin flies maxi. In his, uh, flies in the face of the kind of image he's been cultivating. Completely. So what apparently what happened was people could receive Bitcoin deposits, but in Argentina and then instantly on the strike app, it gets converted to tether. And then if you sent, I think if you withdrew it or something on another platform, then you, you got it swapped back to Bitcoin or something, I think something like that. But basically on the app, you know, Tether's the only thing they can actually transact with, which is, which was quite interesting. I don't know the implications or nothing. I haven't read any, seen anything further about it. Just saw, just, just thought it was interesting to mention. Um, and then also the other, you know, the, the other thing that uh, I don't know if you want to chat briefly about it, Luca, was the, the thing with Ramp adding USDC to their, to their yeah, sure. uh, treasury. Sure, it's interesting. I mean, you know, you said stablecoins are, are a um, systemic risk in crypto. I mean, 
the, specifically uh, tether. <laughs> yeah, specifically tether. But I mean, overall, if if a if a stablecoin fails, the the impact is outsized. Um, I mean, all the liquidity pools, all the trading pairs. I mean, there's intense volatility. Um, what is obviously interesting is, I mean, stablecoins are, are a key feature of decentralized finance. And uh, the RAMP article is basically, it's fintech. They raised a bunch of capital and uh, it's the treasurer kind of mapping out his path to putting a stablecoin on the balance sheet. And it's just interesting kind of going, hearing him reason through the process and to basically say that, you know, on short dated instruments, um, yields have collapsed and here comes circle uh, which basically have a fixed income product based on kind of like a borrowing lending market um paying i think at the time of writing it was like seven eight percent yeah yep. right? and, and he is on his on his short dated treasuries for example i mean it's 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 less than a percent generally the return yeah. so they've kind of started kind of wading into the field and i mean what what is so nice is you know there's a lot of hype around institutions coming into the space and these products kind of being institutionalized but it's rare to find this kind of article at least that's been my experience so far where you kind of really get into the head of one of these cfos and he kind of maps out his process to putting crypto on the balance sheet. I mean, of course, Michael Saylor is a big example here. Um, but but I find it a really a refreshing read, and I think it's it, it makes me quite hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy Ale, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Circle, who issues USDC, the opposing uh, stablecoin to USDT Tether. Um, shared this article about ramp i would highly as lucas said highly recommended read um and yeah it's, it's fascinating also draw you drew that parallel to michael saylor is like remembering that he's not necessarily a cfo and is not coming from it from a traditional you know treasurer or investor trying to preserve capital and preserve liquidity um he came at it from a whole philosophical thing sort of that the world's financial system and fiat currency is crumbling around us. So I need to go to the, the, you know, the highest performing asset and strongest asset, hardest asset out there being Bitcoin and sort of giga chatted his whole, <laughs> everything he has in his company and his personal wealth into Bitcoin. Whereas like, like you say, it's refreshing seeing this CFO come at it more measured. And, and he even mentions Hey, Luca, like he mentions Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, here's the pros, here's yeah. the cons of putting it on the balance sheet and actually then opting for stable coins. And I find it was, I had never, you know, it, it, funny, like it never even came, you know, came across my mind, at least never, never sort of thought of the idea. Um, and especially I mean, when, you, when you think, when you think in the context of Circle's product with the yield, obviously. Yeah. I mean, fixed income is the holy grail of decentralized finance. And I mean, with products like Circle, and then you've got Anchor Protocol, um, and I think that's that's Arrington from uh, Arrington XLP Capital. I mean, they're doing like an institutional fund with with Anchor Protocol, which pays twenty percent on dollars uh, per year. I mean, we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah. But the the fixed income product 
is going to pull people into the space. It's going to pull institutions into the space. So it's it's really great to to see something like that happening. Yeah, and especially in this low interest rate environment. And Luca, I, I, just to just to close out the segment, do you see? You mentioned like Anchor Protocol and stuff, which which you know yields twenty percent APY through UST. Um, highly recommended by Galactic Q, the DGen. Do you ever see an institutional grade, you know, yield farming protocol that basically gives can give institutions in excess of 10, 12, 15% in a safe way? Do you think it's, you know, or would it, do you, is it even far-fetched to say institutions start engaging with anchor protocol? I think there'll be intermediaries so they can manage their risk effectively if if the investment vehicle collapses then they've kind of they've got kind of fixed exposure on their on their balance sheet and they're not directly engaging with the protocols but i think definitely fixed income in a challenging macroeconomic environment is, is going to be a top priority yep that's it uh fascinating read to everyone who wants to have a look uh on jeremy Allaire's twitter um and yeah as we start closing out the episode <laughs> Luca, I wanted to uh, I wanted to raise a challenge to the audience uh, in line with one of those memes you shared. <laughs> it's probably at my own risk. Um, for for every for every uh, I don't know. It's probably too dangerous to say this. For every like reshare or, or like this episode gets, uh, we won't record an episode for that amount of weeks or something. <laughs> hey, that, just explain that meme, Luca. <laughs> It, it's basically uh, this one of the kind of more flashy influences on Twitter. He like posts photos of his jewelry and then laughs at people that fall prey to kind of exit pumps. Uh, he made a post basically saying for every like that this tweet gets, he won't tweet on Twitter for one minute. And Binance, the exchange, shared the tweet. So this tweet got like tens of thousands of likes i think and basically which amounts to i can't do the math in my head right now but many 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 days of <laughs> it's currently gotten 17 17,000 uh, likes so do that conversion and he's basically essentially cancelled himself luca i also saw a great one yesterday related to this someone posted they were like um i don't know it was like a random person who took a picture of their friend and being like, hey, if this tweet gets 50 likes, um, um, my mate is going to move to Paris and like they're in America. <laughs> and one of the big, I don't know if you guys know this Twitter account, um, Dr. Parikh Patel, CFA. Yes. Whatever. He's, got, he's one of the funniest, like the biggest, one yeah. of the biggest like finance uh, business meme accounts. He was like, he was like, um, he, uh, comment or reply to the tweet saying if i get if if like if this gets 10 likes or something i'll i'll retweet it and this guy has like six hundred thousand followers so like he's definitely going to get 50 likes imagine <laughs> this guy now has to move to paris because yeah, uh, look, an influencer got in onto your same, tweet in the same vein that influencer did stop posting again so, <laughs> uh, unfortunately uh he could bend the terms so Q, what's your what's your challenge going to be here? For every like this episode gets, um, I ape the the dollar equivalent into Shiba. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's the fastest way to go to zero. I'll actually, really. I'll actually take the lack of enthusiasm there was refreshing. I'll actually do that. I'll actually do that. I'll actually do that. For the amount every of like, like, for every like this episode gets or like share or whatever, because obviously we, you know, we, we're not a huge influencer platform yet. So our engagement don't doesn't produce the biggest amount of numbers every engagement metric we get on this episode because it's episode 10 as well i will ape into shiba or dogecoin what do you guys think shiba or dogecoin um (laughs) no no, shiba shiba i'll every single engagement metric whether it's a retweet it's a like it's a share it's a whatever i will ape every single dollar equivalent into shiba i hope I hope this podcast goes viral. Luke, that would be you would uh, a, a successful podcast, but your entire portfolio went to zero. Because... Yeah, look, I hope I, I just hey, hope guys, I can. I, I just hope I can recoup. I, I can recoup. Uh, I, can, I just hope I can recoup the 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 amount of dollar value that I lose in social capital. Guys, there's episode yeah. eleven. Our Luca lost all his money in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for you guys to highlight this on call-in and, and share it to the world, eh? Yeah. Share it to all your discords. Share it to Jonty's Discord who has like 30,000 people on it. Oh, yeah. I don't want to give you, don't want to give you any ideas. Uh, I'll just go ask the general quick. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, yes. look, I have to stick to my guns. So, anyway, boys, it's been good. Um, thanks, everyone, for who tuned in live. Um, that's episode 10 wrapped up with a bow on it. Um, and we will see you next Monday, hopefully next Monday. Uh, you know, life usually happens and we end up recording on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, but yeah, we will see you for episode 11. Thanks everyone for sticking with us, uh, for these last 10 episodes. It's been a great ride here, boys, uh, to the next 10, to the next hundred. And uh, we'll see you in the next. Hopefully, I don't spend thousands and thousands of dollars in Shiba in the next week. <laughs> how many how many accounts do you guys think I could create just to go like this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't wait! I can't no. wait. Anyway, thanks, thanks, boys. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll thanks chat next week. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.